If you would this morning, turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts in chapter 20. We're going to start reading here. This is um, Acts is an action-packed book. It really could be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit as much as it could be called the Acts of the Apostles because they only do their Acts here by the power and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is on his third missionary journey when we pick up here. He is a very seasoned missionary. And he is still headed toward Jerusalem where ultimately he will be arrested and then brought back to Rome to end Acts. I don't say necessarily to end his life because we honestly don't know exactly where that takes place. We believe it's in Rome. pretty sure of that. But it's not recorded here in Acts. Acts just ends abruptly. So let's begin reading here in Acts chapter 20. uh, And we'll just read to uh, verse 12. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and we're not a little comforted. Let us pray. Jesus, thank You for Your holy Word. Pray that You would now apply these words to our hearts in this place. And in this moment, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever fallen asleep in church? Now don't lie, because this is church. And, you know... Not everybody looks around in church, you know, and it's probably a good thing that you don't. You might get distracted. But I can see everybody out there, you know what I mean? I see when people fall asleep, and I've had uh, people fall asleep, you know, even though sometimes I think the sermon's going well, it doesn't look too well out there, if you know what I mean. In college, at Wesley College, uh, we used to kind of make a joke about it because uh, we'd have so many people falling asleep. You know, college you try to get college people to go to chapel twice a week at 9.30 in the morning. And if you didn't have an 8 o'clock class, well, that was tough. You know, that was, you didn't, a lot of people struggled through those. And so uh, there were four friends of our, mine that, that we would get, in, you know, we'd be on the front row or whatever. But one of our buddies, I won't mention his name, he is a pastor, just in case he listens to this. No. Um, he would always start, we would say, praying for the person preaching because he would even start bowing his head. And we would just be, you know, looking at him and trying, you know, we would, we would get to laughing and everything else because it's kind of funny to see somebody, you know, fall asleep in church in a place where you're kind of not supposed to fall asleep. Uh, 
things are being said that are important, and yet here he is, you know, starting to doze off. And so I always joke with people now. I say, I saw you praying for me out there now. I want you to keep that up. Not really. But we've all had our moments where we have nodded off. We've all had our moments where we've fallen asleep when we weren't supposed to. And, uh, you know, one thing that, that I notice is when people do fall asleep, they don't really like to be recognized as falling asleep. It's kind of like my meemaw. You know, she'll sit over in her chair and we'll be all talking and, and she'll just kind of go to sleep. I mean, just all of a sudden you look over there and you've been talking to her, but she's asleep. And you say, Meemaw? Yes, baby. And she, you're like, she never was asleep. And you say, I, I think you were just asleep. And, no, I wasn't. Oh, okay. You know. Or it's like getting that phone call in the morning where you try to, <clears throat> you know, and you try to talk, but hey, we know you're asleep. We know you were asleep. We don't like to let people know that we were sleeping, especially when you're not supposed to be sleeping. Well, Acts 20 here actually records kind of a, kind of a comical story here about a young man who actually falls asleep uh, while Paul is preaching, while Paul is sharing uh, with them. And so, Luke, you'll remember, is actually a um, Gentile. He's actually a foreigner as far as Israel and, and the promises of Israel. He also is a physician by trade. And he's a co-worker alongside St. Paul. We begin the section, and it even says here at the very beginning in verse 7, he says, when we were gathered. Notice that this is really almost a travel itinerary that he is keeping in the book of Acts. Now, part of the book of Acts, he was not present. But then there's the we section of Acts where Luke is actually an eyewitness to the events that are going on. This is one of those stories. And so... We pick up on, on this fact here on, in verse 7 on the first day of the week. You can already see that this early on in the life of the church, in the life of Christianity, this early on, they're already meeting on Sunday. There's already been this separating, this pulling apart from Judaism, which their holy day would have been Saturday, the Sabbath. But here you have, we were meeting on the first Day of the week. You say, well, yeah, I wonder why we don't meet on the Sabbath, the Saturday. Well, already, Saint, I mean, this is, this is early. This is probably 50s, maybe 60s. Paul doesn't last to the 70s. He's out of commission after that. So we know this is very early on, and the church is already meeting on the first day. Why? Because of the resurrection. The holy day for Christians is Sunday. And it is meant to be a Sabbath of rest and worship. And so, in America, most businesses are still off on Sunday. I say most because it's starting to to not be that way. And you can say what you want about that, but I'm saying as Christians, we still need to make Sunday a holy day. Now, you also have to understand that in Rome and other parts of the Roman Empire, such as the places that Paul is visiting around here, around Ephesus and Miletus, all these places here had a lot of slaves. Call them servants in the Bible, but they're slaves. So they had to work all day long. There was no day off on Sunday. There was nothing about Sunday in this world that was... 
unique or important. This is just another day of the week. But it is not another day of the week for Christians. Now, even if you have to work on Sunday, you can still make it a holy day is what I'm saying. It can still be a day of worship of the risen Christ. Now, here, apparently, they were having a night meeting. I don't know if it started early that morning because a lot of times they wake up before the sun came up and go and take the Eucharist, go and take communion. As it says in the Bible, they would break bread together. Uh, We're not told if the sermon started early in the morning because we know this for a fact, though, that it went to midnight. That's what it says clearly here in the text. So on the first day of the week, we were gathered together, which shows the importance of fellowship. It shows the importance of worship. It also shows the importance of doctrine. Paul was teaching them. He was sharing. Did you notice, did you catch that he's actually going to leave the next day? So Paul's basically saying to them, I'm going to leave. And what had been going around in Paul's life, he had already said this uh, to the Ephesians. He had told them, look, this is my last time to be here. This is it for me. And so with many tears and, and stuff, they embraced him and sent him on his journey. So this is coming down to the end of Paul's life. He knows it. They know it. And so they're trying to get every last bit out of Paul that they can. It's, it's, it's much like someone you, you know, hey, look, this may be our last meeting. I mean, I've got some friends that are missionaries. There's no telling when. I mean, just like Billy Coppage, when we left seminary, I didn't see him again for, what, what was it, eight years? Eight years. I, I don't know when I'll see him again. And gladly we've got text messaging now and email and these sorts of ways to keep up with people, but they didn't have that. So with many tears, they told him bye. The Scripture is very clear that fellowship among believers is extremely important. Worshiping together on the first day of the week is important. You say, Marshall, you're just concerned with numbers because I've been missing. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. I'm concerned with your soul. Christianity meets on the first day of the week to worship Jesus. Now, I understand you've got to work. People have jobs where they actually are still serving. But you can still find a place of worship, whether it's morning or night, that can accommodate your needs. And we ought to do that. This is what Eutychus was doing. More than likely, he was probably a slave. He's a young man. Maybe he had worked on it. We kind of give him a hard time. Oh boy, fell asleep. Well, maybe... He had worked all day. And now I'd come to this, and here's Paul. <laughs> and we're, to- we're told that Paul prolonged his speech, right? Notice here in the, bo- the last part of, of 7, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Now, you know, I have preached a long message before. You know, I mean, long for me is somewhere in the 40s, alright? So we normally don't reach that here on Sunday morning, uh, but sometimes I've been known on a Sunday night if I go somewhere else to preach to, to kind of stretch it on out a little bit into the 40s. Now, never reached into the 50s yet. Um, I can, but I just feel like that's a little lengthy for me. Um, and so here Paul goes all the way to midnight, and, and, and that's not where he stops. Actually, three times in the text. It's really interesting when you study this little passage here. <laughs> there's only, you know, you have 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Okay, well, in 7, in 9, and in 11, it mentions Paul, some, some type of the word of long. So he prolonged, he kept talking longer, and then in verse 11, a long while. So you have every other verse in this little pericope, 
is to do with the fact that Paul kept talking. Uh, and he kept talking, and then after that, he continued to talk. I mean, even after the poor man falls out of the window, dies and is resurrected, uh, Paul continues to talk. You know, you could say to yourself that this was a killer message. I worked on that one a while. So, yeah, that's when we need a drum set. So Paul continues to speak. But you have to remember the setting here. Paul's about to leave. They don't have email like we do, so they don't know. I mean, hey, this is it. This is, and, And not only this, this is the Apostle Paul. He has already been shipwrecked multiple times. He has already been stoned with large rocks. This is not, you didn't throw pebbles at people. They normally buried him up to their waist and then came up with large rocks, half boulders, and would slam it upon their head. That's the way someone was stoned to death in the ancient world. He's already had that happen. And they threw him out of the city, dead, and he woke up. And guess what he did? He went on preaching. The guy liked to preach. He had a message. He had a mission. And so we see three different times in the text that it tells us that he continued to share with them. This was a man that had the scars of God's mission on his very body. This is a man who God specifically called to the Gentiles. And you know that would mean something to Luke, wouldn't it? Absolutely. This was someone who met Jesus Christ personally after He had resurrected and ascended. Where else does that happen? It doesn't. Not in the Scripture. Not in that way, at least. John sees Him in a vision. In Revelations. And so this is Paul. This is Paul. Now, how do you go to sleep on Paul? I mean, Paul's one of these people who's on my top ten to get, get to first when I get to heaven. You ever thought about your top ten? You should. It's going to be, I mean, we have eternity, so you, you, know, you can make the list longer. But I'm just saying, who would you go to first? Paul's one of those for me. I, sometimes I feel like when I'm reading his epistles, I actually know him a little bit. When somebody writes something, they leave a little bit of their self in it. So here's Paul, and he continues preaching. And it says here that there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. And so Eutychus, I mean, just just imagine, and we're not told why he was sleepy. And really the text is not negative toward him. It's not really chastising him for sleeping. But, I mean, you can imagine, I mean, if you're three stories up, you've worked all day long, probably outside, And now you get to a service where somebody keeps going on and on and on like the Energizer Bunny. And now you've got these lamps that are lit once it gets dark. Starting to get a little stuffy in there because the lights are sucking out the oxygen. If there were many lamps, I mean, he's specific about it. The Scripture doesn't play around with verses. Just add them in there for no reason. No, he's being specific. So it's probably a little stuffy in there, oxygen being sucked out. So what happens? I mean, you ever... I had this one class in seminary. It It was... Great, Dr. Oswalt. Thanks, Dr. Oswalt. Um, Dr. Oswalt, who I actually get to see for the first time in eight years, um, seven years, sorry, uh, this this next week. 
And uh, he had a class that started at 1. And so me, I got to eat, you know what I'm saying, for lunch. And so I would eat. And we'd get in that room. And there was a lot of people because he was a great teacher. So the room was packed, which made it really stuffy. A little warm. So when you get full and then when you get warm, what happens? Hibernation. You go to sleep. And man, it was, I mean, I probably was looking at him like this a lot of the time. I'm sure he saw a lot of ugly faces out there just, you know, trying to, trying to make it. Um, and so here the room is a little stuffy. He's, and so probably he goes, again, we're not told why, but he goes to the window. Say, man, it's a little hot in here. You know, I'm going to cool off a little bit here, right? So he goes to the window, sits on the window. Now these didn't, no glass here in, in their houses. So it was just a, a piece of wood that they would open up and prop open, uh, or not a, not a piece of wood at all. And so he's sitting in the window trying to get a little air, probably gets a little breeze, and that makes it even worse for him, doesn't it? You, you, know, you can just imagine those little clear lights and lamps starting to get really blurry. He's starting to see two or three different poles. You know what I'm saying? You ever been there before where you're really struggling, and, and the person just splits, and they're talking over here and over there. And so then he ends up falling out the window. I mean, if this is a church service... Um, that's not a good thing. Because, I mean, I've been preaching before and something happened, and it's like this. Everybody does this number, right? So I'm preaching to the side of people's heads. You ever try to talk to somebody when you're looking at the side of their head? You want to be like, hey, I'll just wait until you turn back around. When a sermon, you can't really wait. So everybody's just looking, and, of course, it gets interrupted. Dude falls out the window. They go down there. He's dead. He's dead. It says he was taken up as dead. And some people have tried to make this out to say, hey, look, you know, Eutychus never really died. He just kind of fell out and they, they thought he was probably dead. Once they got down there, they realized he wasn't. And so, boom, you know, there you go. Problem is, in the Greek, and I don't always use that, but I'm going to bring the heavyweight in. In the Greek, it says plainly he's dead. It uses the term necros, which is where we get necrotic from. It's the etymology of that term. And so it's death. He died. And not only that, not only is the Greek saying it, which Luke was very versed in Greek because he was a Greek, a Gentile, but also he was a physician. He was a doctor. If anyone knew that he was dead, it was, well, the doctor. Is there a doctor in the house? Yes, it is. And he's dead. So, in fashion of the time, what they would do is start wailing. I mean, literally, just cry, Oh, no! He's dead! You know, just start whining. You know, just do this kind of... It, it was a lament. It was a mourning. And they would do it really loud. And so Paul says, Hang on. Do not be alarmed. For this, his life is in him. So Paul actually... It says here, it bent over him. Really what it means is that he laid on him. He actually laid on him. Now, this also happens... Two other places in Scripture where, where a young person, interestingly, dies. Both the other cases, a child. We're not told how old Eutychus is. Maybe they're being more specific here. Maybe he is a child. A lot of times a young person would be a child. And so the two other times occurred. One is in 1 Kings with Elijah and a widow's son. The other one is in 2 Kings with Elisha and a widow's Son, And in both cases, they lay down on the child. In Elisha, it says nose, nose, mouth to mouth. And he does it three different times. The kid gets up. Here, Paul does the same thing. So you can just imagine, I mean, if we're having a church and somebody dies, that's, that's horrible. Especially a young person that dies in the... I mean, that's kind of going to 
take all the life out of the service, isn't it? Absolutely. You just imagine somebody lying there dead, and then now Paul comes down and lays on them. You're thinking, man, dude goes for a long time. Now he's, what, what is this? What is this? We have to understand something about Paul. In 19, in chapter 19 of Acts, we're told that even the handkerchiefs and the aprons that Paul would have worn were taken to the sick and they were healed just by touching them. You see, Paul was a heavyweight. He was a heavyweight. He was one of these towering figures in the Bible that we must hear. Just like Moses. And God called him to a specific mission. And so he says, look, don't be alarmed. Because they were freaking out. He says, but no, the the life of him is in him. He raised him from the dead. That's what is going on here. This is a miracle story. And aren't there miracle stories in Acts? Absolutely. Sprinkled throughout Acts, the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, or the Holy Spirit, or both, is actually miracles. Now, again, and we can go into a long discussion, but miracles don't always happen. But when they happen, they're done on purpose. They're done intentionally. Jesus did not do miracles everywhere He went. In His own hometown, He said, I'm not going to do any miracles because of your unbelief. They wanted a dog and pony show. They wanted to go to the circus to see. He said, I'm not going to give you that. But when they occur, they're done on purpose. They're done for a reason. And here, Eutychus is raised from the dead. And when Paul had gone up, they broke bread together. That's the second time here in this text that they are breaking bread. Now, what we know about the early church is they had these love feasts, or as we call them today, potlucks, or dinner on the grounds. You know, churches always, you know, Baptists always make fun of themselves, and Methodists always make fun of themselves. Hey, you know, hey, we really like to eat, you know, over here. Look, the reality is the early church ate together. And for some of these slaves, this was their only good meal of the week. Because when you share a meal with someone, you are fellowshipping with them in a godly way. Because meals are very important in the Bible. You know there's going to be one at the end, right? A very important meal. There's one until that meal that we celebrate here at this table together. And so they broke bread as probably a meal, but then they also shared in the Eucharist the giving of thanks for the body and blood of Jesus Christ. They remembered Jesus because He says, do this as often as you will to remember Me. And then He continued talking all the way until the sun came up. This is quite a service. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's probably, it's probably okay for you to go to sleep a little bit, you know. I wouldn't have minded if, if it was me. Paul might have minded. I don't know. But this was a long time. All the way to daybreak. And then at daybreak, they told him goodbye. And that was it. And it says here, and they took the youth away alive and were not a little comfort. And that's a weird way of saying that in the English Really, what it's actually saying in the Greek, literally, I looked it up, and and it says this, and were comforted, not moderately. In other words, they were comforted a lot. It wasn't just a little, it wasn't just like, 
Oh, man, what a great service. Thank you, Pastor. Appreciate that. They were like, man, that was awesome, Paul. I mean, they're probably still juiced, you know, from, from the miracle. It carried them all the way to daybreak. So what can we take from this? It's a, it's a nice story. It's a funny story. It's a unique story in Acts. But how do we apply it to our lives? What does Jesus want to say through this story recorded by Luke to us? The first thing is we can be in the right place and still fall asleep. Church is the right place to be on Sunday morning, on Sunday, and yet some of us are sleeping. Don't look around. I don't mean physically. I mean spiritually. In your relationship with Jesus Christ, you're sleeping. You're not remembering Him. You're doing it out of habit. It's the funniest thing. I used to watch people sleep all the time in school. I mean, I went to school eight years after high school. That's a long time to be in a classroom with people. I watched a bunch of people go to sleep. I've been to church all my life. Almost every Sunday and Wednesday and Sunday night. And during the week for revivals and chapels. I, I've seen a lot of people... Go, and, and they'll do this number. They'll be, they'll be sleeping and they'll go... They'll even be going through the motions. Acting like they're... Li- you know, sitting here typing on the computer. But Some of us are going through the motions. We are in the right place. We're trying to do the right things. But we're asleep to Jesus. We don't really know Him. We don't really love Him. You know, it's kind of funny to see somebody go to sleep, nod off, whatever. It's funny here. I mean, in this text, it's only funny just because He lived. But... Even so, it's a comical thing, but what's not funny is that some of you are asleep. And it's it's really not a laughing matter. Satan has rocked you to sleep with his deception. With his good gifts to you. We've cozied up to the enemy. And when I look out and pray for you sometimes, I I mean, let me just be direct real quick. I'm not just talking to a general crowd. I'm talking to you guys this morning. I'm talking to myself. Sometimes we cozy up to things that we shouldn't even be close to. We're snuggling with sin. If you saw your child snuggle up beside a rattlesnake, that's no joking matter. We're relaxing in our own comfort and own ability. And what God needs to do is wake us up. We need to wake up. We need to wake up. We need to be woken up. And if you notice... 
Normally in your life, you have to be woken up. You don't just wake up. You you are woken up by someone. And isn't that the case here? Paul goes down there, wakes the guy up from the dead even. And some of us are teetering on the windowsill and we haven't fallen yet. But I don't know how we haven't. Lying. Outward appearances. Materialism. Attitudes that are not the mind of Christ. Busybodying ourselves in other people's business. That's a sin in the Bible. Gossiping about others. That's a sin in the Bible. Lust, not love. Apathy, just an attitude of big deal. Oh well, it'll all come out in the wash. No, it won't. You'll find yourself dead. Don't you know there's one out to get you and your children, your marriage? Your family. He wants to destroy it all. He's not going to come out and say, boo. He's going to rock you to sleep in your own comfort. Wake up. You're sitting on the windowsill. It may be nice and cozy there, but you'll die there. Slothfulness. Laziness. These are really the same word in the Bible. And it's one of the seven deadly sins. We work real hard for our jobs. We work real hard for our electronics and our, to learn the new technologies that are coming out. I mean, I dare say that many of you have scoured your instruction booklets for your new phone or your new computer or your new TV or your new washing machine or dryer. And yet you won't even crack the book open to find out God's instructions for your life. You just want me to tell you. You just want the pastor to tell you. You just want the radio to tell you. It's not how it works. God has His own instructions. I don't know those instructions. I can cast a general net. That's about all I can do. I can point to Jesus. It's about a, I can try to shake you. That's about all I can do. Jesus has to call you. You must hear His voice. You must be on His mission. You must preach His Word. You must get in His Word. Edmund Burke, all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. Hey, you can be in the right place and be asleep. You go and read yourself in the New Testament. How many times judgment is mentioned and what you're judged by is not what you believe. Can I repeat that again? It's not what you believe. You can believe the Apostles' Creed. You can believe that Jesus rose for you. You can believe that He died for your sins. And James says, good job. Even the demons believe that. No, you're judged by what you 
do, your actions. Go and read it yourself. We've been told a lie. We've been rocked to sleep. It happens to all of us. It happens to the best of us. Being in ministry, preaching every Sunday, ministering to other people, and you're asleep at the wheel. It's happened to me. And that's why I plead with you. We need each other to wake each other up. We need the Holy Spirit to wake us up. Poor Eutychus is a good example for us, isn't he? His name's pretty unique. As my buddy said, um, his name is Eutychus, because Eutychus too if you fell off three stories. <laughs> but that's not really what Eutychus's name means. You look it up in the Greek, and Eutychus means fortunate. That's actually what his name means. Now, I don't know if he was given this name at birth or if this was his Christian name. They were often renamed. Just like Saul to Paul. Right? Simon to Peter. Either way, Eutychus was known for being fortunate. He had fallen He had fallen asleep. And died because of it. And yet, he lived. And so everybody that ever called his name, and everybody that has subsequently read his name, and preached about his name, has called him, unbeknownst to them, a lot of them, fortunate. That's what Eutychus means. Fortunate. We need to wake up to how fortunate we are. It makes me want to crawl under this podium to think about how fortunate I am in my life. To come from the kind of family that I came from. Being taught the things I was taught. Having the mother and the father that I have. The brother that I have. The wife that I have, the children that God has blessed, the house, the things that He's blessed me with, the, the time in college and seminary that He blessed me with. To whom much has been given, much is required. You have been given much. Think about your life. Think about where you live. Think about what you have. Think about the opportunities in your life. For 1,500 years after the church started, they did not have a bound copy of the Bible. And even after that, it wasn't accessible to everyone. We have them everywhere, lying around everywhere, on our phones, accessing all kinds, and we don't even care. We have a less appreciation of the Word of God. We're very fortunate. And that means something. That's a responsibility that's been placed on us. God hasn't brought you to where you are just so you can lay up. 
I mean, my brother, he's just now graduating, finally, out of residency in this long process to be a doctor and a surgeon. You don't get to the end of that and say, okay, my time is done, baby. This is it. No. God is preparing you for a mission. And the foundation has been laid for some of you and you've done nothing. 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 We're fortunate to have the Holy Spirit. How many people in the world have longed before us in the Old Testament to see the day when He could empower a life to overcome sin? Not to live in it and just simply be forgiven every week. No. Be empowered. That's what Pentecost is all about. The descent of the Spirit that brings us to God and makes us like God. We need to wake up to how fortunate we are. Stop resisting Him. Stop grieving the Holy Spirit. Stop cutting Him short in your life. Well, it's a tough one. But I only tell tough things to people that I love. I never say the things that I've said today to people that I don't know. Only to people that I love. But some of you need to wake up. Some of you need to wake up to how fortunate you really are and then return that to God. It's His. It's not yours. It's not mine. That wife, that brother, those parents, my children, they're not mine to keep. To keep them, to try to hold on to it, is to kill them. No, Jesus says, plant them. Give them. Give of your own life. That's the only way that you'll ever have life. Not by holding on to it. We can't revive ourselves. We'll need the help of others. But that's what the church is for. That's what the Holy Spirit of Christ is for. Have you been asleep at the wheel? Have you been going through the motions? Have you been ungrateful for all that God has done for you? Yeah, we can look at the bad, but look at what He's done. If you have, the good news is today that you can meet Him here. He is more than ready to meet you right now to heal us, to revive us, to wake us up, to do a miracle just like He did here. And then we can continue going forth with the message, with the ministry that Jesus has for our church and for your life. Do you believe that? I do, and I believe it for you. Amen.